this morning, I want to continue to talk on this topic of vision and mission. And I want to talk, uh, focus on two specific things this morning. I want to continue to talk a little bit about what vision is, specifically what vision creates. What vision creates. And the second thing that I want to talk about this morning is I want to talk about the importance of having ownership of the mission for the vision. The importance of having ownership of the mission for the vision. Every vision requires a mission. A vision without a mission is just a daydream. It's a hope, it's a wish. Every vision has to have a mission. The mission is the plan or the blueprint to follow so that, so that the vision becomes a reality. There are so many God-inspired things that never come into fruition, never are fulfilled, never become a reality because there was no mission. There was no plan. There was no blueprint. They just remain daydreams or hopes or wishes. Can I tell you that if God gives you a vision, it will come with a mission, but you have to understand that sometimes the vision comes before the plan. The vision comes before the plan, and then it is our responsibility to seek God to discover how are we going to be able to see this thing fulfilled. And I think what happens is a lot of times visions get aborted because people don't take another step to say, okay, God, what's the strategy? What's the blueprint? How do we see this thing happen? I don't want it to be a daydream. I don't want it to be a hope. I don't want it to be a wish. I don't. Can I tell you that if God gives you a vision, it requires us to be involved. He doesn't give us a vision. It's like prophetic. When we receive prophetic ministry, those things that God says are visions for our life. But we can't sit where we are and say, okay, if he spoke it, then it's going to happen. We have to step forward. We need to ask God, what is the blueprint? What's the plan? What's the strategy? What am I supposed to do now to begin to see these things fulfilled? Every vision requires a mission in order for it to become reality. Now, here's the other part. In order for any vision to become reality, there has to be a people who take ownership of the mission of the vision. Specifically in a church, can I tell you? Leadership can say, this is the vision that God has given me for the church. He can lay out the vision. He can lay out the mission. But unless there's someone that is willing to do more than just study the blueprint, you're not going to see the vision fulfilled. We can't just have people know the blueprint, read the blueprint, study the blueprint, unless they're willing to get their hands on some wood and build something. Amen. It's so important to have ownership of the mission to see the vision fulfilled. So. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get right into it. Father, we love you. And Lord, I pray that we would be gripped this morning by how big your plans are for us. I pray that we would be gripped this morning by the power of vision. Father, that we would be convicted this morning to be members of the vision, owners of the vision, Lord, so that we can see, Father, what you want to do take place. In Jesus' name, amen. The dictionary defines vision as, one, the ability to see. I think Pastor Dwight shared a couple of these things. One, the ability to see. Secondly, it's the ability to think about or plan the future with imagination or wisdom. The third thing is similar to the second meaning of vision, by, according to the dictionary. It's a mental image of what the future will or could be. I think the word for that exercise of, of, of sitting down and picturing, having a mental image of what will or could be is the word envisioning. How many of you know, like have envisioned something? Maybe when you were younger, when you were little, maybe if you were a young woman, you were envisioning what your life would be like, who you would marry, what you would have kids, where your house would be. Though The American dream is an envisioning thing. People envision, they have these mental images, these pictures. Now, to the average normal person, 
There's nothing wrong with that dictionary definition of vision. But to a follower of Jesus, there's a critical flaw in that definition. What do I mean? Well, you can see, you can think ahead or plan the future with imagination and wisdom. You can envision what your future will be or could be. And the problem for a follower of Jesus Christ with that definition is that you can do all those things without God ever being involved. See, I would like to contend that, that most people, it's very natural for every one of us to have a vision of what we want life to look like. But the problem with this definition of vision is it limits itself to just being a human involved. It removes the God component to vision. Listen to me. If you right now have a vision for your life that is derived out of you dreaming, you imagining, you brainstorming what you would like your life to look like, and it has not been edited by the Holy Spirit. It has not included the counsel and wisdom of God. It has not been prayed about. It's not been, we've not sought God's peace about it. If you have not included God in your vision, then this morning might be a good time to review your vision. It might be a good time to do that. Now, I'm not talking about what is your vision for what you're going to eat for breakfast this morning. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is, does God have a say in your major decisions? Does God have a say in where you are living? Does God have a say in who you are marrying? Does God have a say in where you are going to church, where you are working? Does God have a say in these most important things? Because these things matter to the Lord. I'm not saying that we can't have plans. And I'm not saying, I don't, I'm not, I hope you do not have like, receive this with a religious spirit where it's like, I can't make a decision because I haven't had God's vision about it. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, what I'm saying is how much is God involved in your decision-making process? How convicted are you to make sure that the vision for your life is God's vision for your life? I'm not saying we can't have plans, we can't have desires, we can't have dreams, we can't have goals, we can't have hopes, we can't have all of those things. Is What I'm saying is, are your dreams God's dreams for your life? Are your plans God's plans for your life? Are your, is your vision for your life God's vision for your life? Because scripture tells us in Proverbs 16, 19, as followers of Jesus Christ, we can feel free to make our plans, but is the Lord determining our steps? When, Lord, when the Lord is determining our steps, what that is, is that, God, that is God saying, okay, you have this vision, but I'm going to reroute you to see my vision happen. We can make our plans. We can, we can you know, it's like that uh, Seinfeld episode where he goes and he gets a reservation for a car and he, said, and he goes to get the reservation and the reservation's not in the computer or the vehicle's not available. And he says, anybody can make a reservation, but can you keep a reservation? You can make your plans, but are you keeping your plans when God, God's vision for your life collides with your vision? See, this is what I'm talking about. We see in Scripture time and time again stories where there are what I like to call collisions of visions. These are moments when someone's vision for their life collides with God's vision for their life. Moses had a collision of visions. Moses was raised and reared to become leadership in Egypt. He grew up in Pharaoh's court, and then there was a collision of visions. And now Moses is not growing up in Pharaoh's court. He is coming back to Pharaoh's court to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. There was a collision of vision. Pastor Dwight talked about this, I believe, in the first week with Paul. Paul had a collision of visions. Paul was a persecutor of the church, and then there was a collision of visions where he saw God's vision for his life, and now he becomes persecuted for the church. Right. It's a collision of visions. Now, here's my point. God never intended for your vision for your life to originate out of you. His desire is to be the supplier of your vision, to give you a vision, not for you to create one for, my, for yourself. Can I tell you, let me, let's just be honest, that if, if you're at a place where you're like, you know what, I just want to be able to be in charge of what my life looks like, you will probably, you will probably miss 
God's vision for your life. Because it's all about you. What do I want my life to look like? See, there's got to be a collision of visions. I hope you get this. What your vision for your life is, is only as important as where it came from. What your vision for your life is, is only as important as where it came from. Are you the originator of it, or is God the originator of it? Have you grabbed a hold of God's vision for your life? See, we cannot afford to create our own vision for our lives because what we do in this life has eternal implications. We can spend the rest of our lives, spend the rest of our lives dedicating ourselves to a vision for our own life that does not affect eternity. For anybody, are we going to take his vision? See, when vision originates in us, it's simply ambition. It's an aspiration. There isn't anything wrong with possessing ambition as long as your vision for your life is transformed by God's vision for your life. See, there's nothing wrong with ambition and having your own vision as long as you're willing to lay that down to pick up God's vision. There's something, and this is why God's vision for your life is so important. There's something that God's vision creates that makes it different than having our own vision. See, make no mistake about it. God's vision for you, God has a vision for you, and he wants to give it to you. Not, uh, not, he doesn't want to give you another vision for your life, but he wants to give you his vision for your life because he created you and he, he has a specific purpose for you. So let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. King Solomon the wisest man to, up until Jesus, to have ever lived. Um, he writes this in observation of just life. And he says this in the New American Standard translation. He says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. Now, he's not talking about you having a personal vision. That's not what... Uh, he's talking about. Because when you look at the, the origin of this word vision, it's actually, it's actually revelation from God. That's what it is. So when he says, where there is vision, no vision, people cast off restraint, he's not talking about what happens when you don't have a vision for your life. He's talking about what happens when people don't have a God vision for their life. The word unrestrained in the Hebrew, listen to me, this is so good, the, uh, the word unrestrained in the Hebrew is the word para. And that word describes what happens to people when they don't know God's vision. The word para means this. It means that people begin to act as their own leader. So when, when Solomon says, he's observing life, and he says, without a God vision, people begin to act as their own leader. And he, listen, he correlates people beginning as, the, as their own leader, acting as their own leader, as an unrestrained person. Let me, I, I hope you get this. See, the, what that tells us is that when we are acting as our own leaders, what that tells us is that people who choose to create their own vision for their life instead of seeking God's vision for their life are actually living unrestrained. Well, I'm going to take that a step further about what vision, what that means for vision. But an unrestrained life, I don't know about you, but an unrestrained life sounds like a life that's out of control. What that's showing me is that if you are not, if you don't have a God vision for your life, you will live a life that is out of control. Because it will all, all be about what you want to do. It'll all be about what your desires are. It'll all be about what's the best thing for you. And literally, Solomon is saying that an unrestrained life, a life that is not restrained by God's vision, is out of control. See, the end result of people who don't know and understand God's vision for the life or who lose sight of God's vision for the life is that they become unrestrained because they begin to act as their own leader. 
One of the purposes of God's vision for our lives is to save us from the damage that can come when we begin to act in our own self-interest. We have to be gripped by a God vision for ourselves because it comes packed with restraining power. The message translation says it this way. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. They're moving here. They're getting this job. They're doing this. They're doing that. They stumble all over themselves because they don't have a God vision and they're beginning to act as their own leader. What that tells me is that God did not design us to not be led by his vision. He did not design us so that we just create whatever we want our lives to look like. That's an unrestrained life. See, it said... If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend, that word attend means they heed, they observe, they take care of what he reveals, they are most blessed. See, what that tells me is that seeking a God vision for our lives should not be optional because we cannot afford to live our lives out not restrained by God's vision for who we are. I don't know about you, but when God gives us a vision, it's transformational. When God gives us a a, a vision, it's transformational. When you receive prophetic ministry, it's packed with transformational power. When you know what God's purpose for your life is, it's transformational. When you know God's call for you, it's transformational. When When you have sought God about where you're supposed to live, and he gives you peace about a city, and he gives you peace about a house, it's transformational. When, he, when you get a vision for what your family's supposed to be like, it's transformational. When God gives you a vision, it's transformational. It's not just a dream. It's not just a wish. wish it's not just a plan. It's transformational because it's bigger than you because it did not originate in you. Paul's life was turned upside down because he had a vision that collided with his vision and it transformed him. This is why vision is so important. We have to be desperate and hungry for what God wants to use our lives for. What is his vision for you? It's not just a dream. It's not just a wish. See, God's vision, according to Proverbs here, is it comes packed with a restraining power. Without vision, people are unrestrained. It comes When you receive God's vision for your life, it comes with a restraining power that creates a conviction within us, listen, to begin to say no. The reason why it has restraining power is because it is an an accountability from a source outside of you. When we have a vision for our lives that originates in us, then we have to rely on our own strength to see it fulfilled. But the problem is that we can become divided. See, let me give you an example. You know what a New Year's resolution is? It's just a yearly vision. And the reason why most New Year's resolutions do not continue after February is because it's a vision that originated with you and it did not produce an outside accountability for you to sustain it. When you receive a God vision, it, it, it produces an accountability because it did not originate in you. And every one of us needs an accountability outside of ourselves so that we remain restrained. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is what vision produces. Listen to me. God's vision creates restraint, and restraint is the conviction to say no. No to self-leadership. No to anything that would sacrifice the fulfillment of God's vision. Can I tell you? When people walk astray, it's because they either don't know God's vision or they lost sight of it. They lost sight of God's vision. See, it's, God's vision has restraint. What do I mean by that? Pastor Dwight, you're in Africa. You've gone to all of these places. But in the midst of all of that, that's a vision that God has put on your heart. And it has restrained you because you've had to start to say no to other things. You can't do it all when you get a God vision. It produces an accountability to say, hey, 
I put this on you. you got to go here. You, ha- you have to say no to some other stuff. You can't do it all. This is what I'm talking about. God's vision for your life has restraining power. A lot of times when we, when we talk about vision, we paint vision to be the big picture. But let me tell you something. God's vision will actually narrow your focus. God's vision will take options off of the table. It creates in us a resolve that says, I have to do this. I must do this. The purpose of God's vision is to hone you, to actually make you more precise, to make you more effective, and to make you more fruitful. You and I don't need another vision for our lives. We need a fresh revelation of God's vision for our lives. We don't need to conjure up another vision. We need a revelation of God's vision for our lives. Some of us know God's vision, but we've lost sight of his vision, and we need a fresh revelation of God's vision. You can see God's vision, but do you have a revelation of it? Because revelation is different than sight. Let me... How do I say that? How, do, how, how can I communicate that? Allison was Allison Bennett until I had a revelation that that's my wife. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Revelation empowers you to see what you haven't seen before. And some of us, we know God's vision for our lives, but what we need is a fresh revelation of it. Because that scripture, if you actually look at it, In the original Hebrew, Proverbs 20 19, where it says, without vision, people cast off restraint. The real meaning of that is without revelation, people cast off restraint. When you don't have a fresh revelation of God's vision for your life, you will live an unrestrained life. See, we don't need more vision. We need a revelation of God's vision. When I think about a God vision or what what a God vision does to create a conviction in us to commit to it, I think about the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Um, in Nehemiah chapter 1, and, and I want you, you can, you can actually read this later, but in Nehemiah chapter 1 uh, and chapter 2, uh, we see a story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah currently is a cupbearer to a, to a foreign king. Uh, Israel has been exiled, and so he is a cupbearer. Now, a cupbearer drank, you know, they drank the drinks that the king was going to drink before the king drank them because if it was poison, the cupbearer dies instead of the king. That sounds like an awesome job. I wonder what the premium for the life insurance policy on that I'm a cupbearer? Okay, that'll be a million dollars a year for $20,000 of uh, coverage. But Nehemiah is a cupbearer, and, and, and can I tell you something? If you, when you read Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah asks a simple question of one of his brothers. His brother comes to visit him, and he says, uh, he says, what is the condition of Jerusalem? And his brother Hanani says, the walls are destroyed, and, and the place is in ruin. And it says that Nehemiah heard that, and he wept and fasted and prayed for a week. Now, I don't know about you. When I read those first four verses of Nehemiah chapter 1, I'm not crying about it. But what happened? Nehemiah heard something simple, but what in, in what he heard, he got a revelation of a vision of what, what Jerusalem was supposed to be like, and it left him undone. Yeah. And he became, listen, he had a vision, and he became so convicted. He said, I have to pick up this mission to see this vision fulfilled. And in Jeremiah, or Nehemiah chapter 2, he goes to the king, and he says, I need to leave. And then what happens in Nehemiah chapter 6 is Nehemiah is already at, at home. He, he, do you know that they rebuilt the entire, uh, all of the walls of the city in like 53 days? Why? Because there was a man who was possessed by a fresh revelation of the vision that God had for the city of Jerusalem. And it caused such a deep conviction in his heart to commit himself to seeing the mission of that vision fulfilled. And in Nehemiah 6, he's on the top of the wall. And listen, he's on the top of the wall and Sanballat comes by and he says, hey, come down from the wall. I want to talk with you. And what does Nehemiah say? He says, I can't come down. Because I am in the middle of a good work. Why, did, why was Nehemiah so restrained? He was restrained because he had a vision that produced a conviction. And said, I can't stop. I have to continue this. This is what the vision of God does. Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2 uh, shows us 
what happens when you get a revelation of the vision that God has for, for you, and it creates a conviction within you to commit your life to seeing the mission of seeing God's vision for Jerusalem fulfilled. When you get a revelation of the vision that God has for you, it will transform you from a homemaker into a missionary, a banker into a prophet, a construction worker into a pastor. This is what happens when you get a fresh, I saw Amy bump, uh, Donnie, yep. You're, a constru- yep, you're an owner, but you're a pastor, my friend. You are. See, that's what happens when you get a fresh revelation of the vision that God has for your life. There's a transformation. This is what God's vision does. Do you know that Apostle Paul was restrained by a vision? Let's go to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. This is Paul and Timothy. Listen, listen to this story about how Paul is restrained by a vision. It says, they, Paul and Timothy, passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mycenae, listen to this. Paul and Timothy have their plans. They come to Mycenae, and their plan is to go to Bithynia. And it says, after they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia. That was Paul's plan. And the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. In verse 8. But everything changed because Paul got a God-supplied vision. And passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. In verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the middle of the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately, that word immediately, that's the conviction, right? Pastor Dwight talked about he had his vision on the road to Damascus, and immediately Paul had this conviction to begin to minister. This, this is what ha- was happening here. When he had seen the vision, immediately Paul and Timothy sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. So what is vision? Vision isn't our dreams, our plans, our hopes, our ambitions, our aspirations. True vision is where there's a collision of our vision with God's vision, and we become restrained by God's vision for our life. We need God's vision for our lives because it will create in us a conviction to be restrained by God's plan, so we are no longer acting in our own interest. And can I tell you, as an adult, nobody wants to be restrained. We think that restraining is is discipline for children. You need to restrain their behavior. For the rest of our lives, if we are going to live out our faith, we need the Holy Spirit to provide a discipline that restrains us. Okay, so get over the word restrain because I'm telling you that when God gives you a vision for your life and you become restrained by the conviction power of it, you're actually living a more effective, efficient, fruitful life for the Lord. Restraining is a good thing. It is a good thing to be restrained by the vision that the Lord has for you. And so we need God's vision for our lives because it will create in us a conviction to be restrained to God's plan so we are no longer acting in our own self-interest. And this brings me to my next point. We need to pursue, pursue God's vision for our lives because we need to understand that when he reveals the vision, that is actually his invitation to take ownership of seeing that vision fulfilled. He doesn't just give you a vision and say, hey, Be blessed so for the rest of your lives you can tell people what God sees you doing with your life and you never do it. The vision, the revelation of the vision is an invitation for you to begin to take up a new mission to see that vision fulfilled. See, God reveals the vision for you to take ownership of it. This is what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians 3.9 when he says we are co-workers with Christ. Now, I'm talking about vision, right? And you may be thinking, um, you may be here this morning, you may be thinking, I don't really know what God's vision is for my life. I'd like to know. That would really help me if I knew. I think, I think that, can I tell you that the word vision in and of itself it just is mysterious to me. I don't fully understand it. And so in order for me to understand it, I got to go to scripture to see and understand what this word vision is. But some of us may be in the room or like, I don't, 
What is God's vision for my life? Well, I don't, I don't know what it is. Some of you may be discouraged in the process of pursuing God's vision for your life, and you're like, I, I just don't, I don't feel like God has shown me anything, so I'm, I'm right here. I want to encourage you to continue to, to persevere and push through and pursue that vision. But can I tell you, it's way more simple than, than you think. <clears throat> God has made his vision for our lives so clear in Scripture. This is why this is so important. This is a whole vision manual. See, what we want, can I tell you what, what happens? We actually stay in our place and we don't walk forward because we want God to give us details when he's already given us so much here. I heard this quote one time when someone says, someone says, uh, someone was asking this pr prophetic person for a new word, and he said, I don't know if God is going to continue to give you a new word because he wants to know what you did with the last one. Yeah. What did you do with the last one? We want all these details laid out about what the vision is, but can I tell you that let's go ahead and just follow the simple vision here because there's so much in here that as you begin to follow it, those details would begin to come. Can I tell you that your ability to follow this vision is a measure of faithfulness. Amen. And God will reveal more details as you become faithful to just following this. This is a vision manual. Matthew 28, go into all the world. You're in Africa. That was the detail. But if you said, God, if you're in standstill and you're like, God, you know, can you give me the details and lay out what this is supposed to look like? And he's like, just go to your neighbor. Right? And it ends up getting all the way to this place where now you're going to Africa. This is the whole point. Follow the vision manual. We need to pursue God's vision for our lives. God, God made his vision for our lives so clear in Scripture. And what we need is a fresh conviction and revelation of our role in the mission to see his vision fulfilled. Can I get someone to come up and play the keys? Thank you. We need, we need vision, or we need a fresh revelation of the vision of the mission. Now, what do I mean? Listen, Jesus has rose from the dead, and he has appeared to over 500 people, some in groups, some individually. He's, he rose from the dead, he's appeared to over 500 people, and he's walked through a wall and appeared to Timothy. And now he gathers his 11 disciples, as my bulletin uh, wrote. He gathers his 11 disciples to uh, talk with him so he can have one last team meeting on a mountain before he ascends into heaven. And at this meeting, at this meeting uh, in Matthew chapter 28, we see Jesus gathering his disciples. And as noted in my article this morning, the purpose of the meeting was not only to say his final goodbyes before his ascension into heaven, but to also lay out the vision of what his plan was for their future and for the future of the movement that he created. It was to lay out the plan, okay? Now, if this was a church meeting, it would have been Jesus' vision Sunday. So the disciples gather around and... As Jesus stands up, and I'm sure they're excited. I, I mean, I'm sure they're probably awestruck, like, this is really Jesus. Jesus died. You can imagine what they're wondering. They're probably thinking things like, I can't believe Jesus is actually standing here right in front of us. I mean, some of us saw him literally die. Some of, them, some of us saw them remove the nails and peel his body back off of the cross. Some of us maybe knew about the exact location we went and we mourned. And Jesus is here standing on this mountain and he's literally in front of us. You remember when, when Thomas was doubting and he said, touch the holes in my hands, touch, touch the hole in my side. And they're, they're probably just beyond themselves excited about this, this moment. And now he's right here in front of them. And you can imagine some of the thoughts that the disciples were had. What, what do you think is next? What is he going to tell us? Where, listen, where are we going to go next? And if Jesus would have made a Facebook ad for this gathering, it probably would have said something like, come and join as I share what we are going to do next. 
So the disciples are there, and Jesus begins to share what the vision is. And what they quickly discover is that the vision isn't something brand new. Jesus' vision for this movement wasn't flashy. Where it was going wasn't something that they had never heard before. He wasn't creating new programs. Listen, he wasn't thinking about starting a building campaign. He wasn't even thinking about creating opportunities where his disciples could get ministry. He wasn't thinking about the best interests of his disciples and what would be best for them. Jesus' vision did not change and the mission did not change. The answer to where Jesus' movement would go was found in who the disciples would go to. Jesus' answer to the question of what, what is your vision, Jesus, is this. All of the authority of the universe has been given to me. Now go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to faithfully follow all that I've commanded you. See, this is God's vision. When I talk about what is my, what is my vision for my life, this is God's vision for your life. And what you and I need is a fresh revelation of this vision so that it produces a conviction in us of our role in this mission so that his vision can be fulfilled. The, the Great Commission is not something new. It's not flashy. Every single church in the world should have this vision. It's not flashy. It's the same message every single year. If you dedicate a whole month to vision for your church, it should be a reminder of this vision. Listen to me this morning. When the disciples were listening to Jesus share the great commission before he was to ascend into heaven, what they quickly found out was the great commission was a great commission. Listen, he wasn't sharing what he was going to do. He was sharing what they were going to do. They quickly learned that his vision was a joint venture. And when he shared the vision with the disciples, it came with an expect, expectation and an invitation for them to become owners of his vision. Now, this is where we start to talk about Redeemer's Church. Our purpose as Redeemer's Church is to see the vision of Matthew 28 fulfilled. The Great Commission is our co-mission. We are dedicated, and here's the point, what we choose to do is an indication that we will restrain ourselves to seeing that mission fulfilled. I hope you didn't show up in the month of January here at Redeemers expecting to hear a series of messages about a vision of what Pastor Dwight and our leadership team was going to do without understanding that in order for our vision as Redeemer's Church to be fulfilled, that you have got to get a revelation of your role in seeing this mission fulfilled. Listen, when Pastor Dwight began this, this, this uh, series, he wasn't saying, come and hear what I'm going to do in 2020. We have to get a, we have to be gripped that the vision that God has put on Pastor Dwight's heart is a vision with every one of us taking ownership of it. It's not about let's come together and let's hear about what Pastor Dwight individually is going to do or what Pastor Rick is going to do or what Tammy's going to do. It's about what are we going to do? What are we going to do to see the expression of the Great Commission fulfilled here at Redeemer's Church? We're not here to create programs for the sake of programs. We're not here to create activities to create activities. We're not here to entertain you for an hour and a half or two hours. Listen, we're not here to keep you happy because we can't. Can I tell you what is going to turn you from being a lukewarm to on fire for the Lord is getting across the table with a lost person and answering every question that they don't know about God. That will set you on fire. Amen. It will set you on fire. 
Because everything that has been poured into you for decades, you now have the joy of sharing. Look at, listen to what Jesus did. Jesus didn't say, hey, follow me, and you're going to see me preach and teach to the masses. There was a point of exchange where he said, you need to own, own this mission, so I'm going to send you out and do everything that you saw me do. So he commissions the 70 because he says, listen, this is not a joint venture where I want you to put your money into my ministry. I want you to put your steps into my ministry and realize that this is a great commission and it's a joint venture that you're about to go do. And you remember how, how they came, how did they come back, Pastor Dwight? They came back with joy. Jesus, I saw, I saw you cast out demons and the demons are responding to us. I saw you raise people from the dead and now, now we're raising people. I saw people healed and now, now we're healing. And you remember what Jesus said? He had a moment where he said, God, thank you that you have revealed this to them. What his point was, was this, they're getting it. They've, they've experienced what it's like, the joy of owning the mission. The future Redeemer's church is in your hands, not in our hands as a leadership team. Where we are going is who are you going to? Because we can't do all of this on our own. Listen, where the rubber meets the road is when a congregation of people has a conviction to say, I'm not just coming to Redeemer's Church to sit in a pew and hear a good word. I'm coming here because I believe in the vision and I'm going to become an owner of the mission. That's why people tithe. Because they say, I'm putting my money behind this. I'm investing. I am backing this because I believe in it. Do you believe? This is where the rubber meets the road. Do you believe in the mission that we're trying to fulfill for the Great Commission to be manifested here at Redeemer's Church? Amen. That's the question. Everything we are attempting to do is with people in mind. Our changes are not with our preferences in mind. They are with the Great Commission in mind. Because we refuse to become a country club where tithes are the dues that members pay to get what they want. This is not a country club. Just because you tithe, I hope that you're not giving with manipulation in mind. Where you tithe because you want this from this place. The moment we go down that slope, it's a slow death. It's got to be about people outside of these walls. It's got to be there. I'll never forget. Listen, I'm going to slap Cody's head. Do you remember in 2012? Listen, we would go wherever in youth ministry. Cody would be doing the 270. It was, where's the van route? It's not a street, it's 270. We were going on the south side. We were going into Hamilton. We were going to Parsons. And there was a part of it. We were going all the way to the north side. And listen, let me tell you what we would do. Every time it was like a crazy route where there was like too many people on it. And it was, I'm not even going to say. Anyways, there was a lot of students on this van route. And we would look at each other. And we, we had this mutual agreement by any means necessary. Just get them here. I don't care where they live. Let's get them here. Because that's what it's about. It's not about me preaching to the youth leaders or preaching to the students that have already been there. I love you. Listen, I love everybody in the room, but I also love the people that are not in the room. I love the people that are supposed to sit in those seats. And can I tell you, I can't fill these seats. I can't. Every person has to become someone that says, this is a joint venture. Who are you going to send yourself to? Be sent wherever you are. You have opportunities at your workplace. you got family that needs to be in those seats. And in 2020, if we want to see the Great Commission fulfilled, someone needs to say, those are my two seats for the whole year. These are my two seats. And you know what? I'm going to be angry if your visitors sit in my two seats. Because these are my two seats, just like that's my carpet tile. When you tell me I can't drink coffee on my carpet tile. Carpet tile. I invested in that carpet tile. Don't tell me not to drink coffee. I paid for that carpet tile. Pastor Rick, I love you. This is my seat. 
This is my seat. That's not, this is not your seat. This is my seat. What are you here for? What we need here at Redeemer's Church is for people to get a revelation of the Great Commission so that you have a conviction to restrain your life so that the mission of the vision is carried out here. Can I tell you, when I talked about we're so concerned about the details, well, what, what does that look like? Can I tell you that we don't see a record of the disciples following up with Jesus and saying, I heard you say go into all the world, but where am I supposed to go specifically? He was gone. He said, go into all the world. Peace. <laughs> and you know what happened? This is the fascinating thing. The disciples actually took ownership of that. And Bartholomew went to India. And, and nobody but him pursued, where am I supposed to be sent? Jude went to Assyria. Matthew went to Ethiopia. Andrew went to Greece and Scythia. Thomas, Matthew, Jude, and Simon the Zealot went to Parthia. The whole point is this. When, when we get a fresh revelation of the Great Commission and the fact that it is a co-mission, we're doing this with the Lord. We're not just backing where Jesus wants to go. We're actually going where he wants us to go. It's all going to look different. Because it's going to be about your family. It's going to be about your coworkers. It's going to be about your neighbors. It's going to be about the person on the street corner that you're going to go to and say, I've got this church on 1850 Courtright Road that I've been attending for years, and I would love for you to be there. You would love our pastors. Give me two hours maximum. That's it on a Sunday morning. Just give it. Just, will you give me, will you give to God two hours max? this week and just join me. It's a joint venture. We need to get a fresh conviction to be sent somewhere. See, and this is really easy to say, but the reason why we're in Africa is because of Pastor Dwight. Because God put that on him. I, I, I love this neighborhood. I love it. And I'm trying to do things to go there. Why? Nobody asked me to do that. Pastor Dwight didn't say, hey, uh, in 2019, here's part of your job requirement. You are to go over there. God put that on my heart. Where is God asking you to go? It's a great commission. The mission of Redeemer's Church is to seek after people, period lost, looking for church, whoever they may be, and to demonstrate our love for God through our love for people. If you want to know the answer to where Redeemer's Church is going, it will be found in who you are going to. My prayer is that you would be captured by a revelation of God's vision in your life that would produce a conviction that you would restrain yourselves to seeing the mission of his vision fulfilled. If you're here this morning and <clears throat> the Lord has just been speaking to your heart and you need a fresh revelation of the Great Commission, will you just stand? Let's just come forward. Come on. You know what we need, God? You know what the conviction is? It's a burden. It's a burden. It's, it's God, I have to commit myself to this. I have to. I can't just continue to live my life as usual. I have to, I have to go. I have to be owners, owners of, this, of this vision. And I'm not going to be quiet. I'm going to pursue. Father, I just pray, Father, over every one of these people, God. Lord, I pray that you would place a burden, a burden, God, 
on their hearts. God, I pray that you would break their hearts, God, for what breaks yours. Father, that they would be sent wherever they go. Father, that they would see their families as somewhere they're sent. They would see their job as somewhere that they are sent. They would see their neighbors as someone they are sent to, God. Father, wherever they go, God, I pray that they would be sent wherever they are, Lord. God, that you, Father, that you would place in them, God, such a burden for what matters most. God, that they would wake up in the morning with a conviction to say, here I am, Lord, send me. God, I pray that they, Lord Jesus, would have pictures of who to be sent to. Father, that you would place a burden on them, God, that they would pray for the harvest. Lord, your word says, God, that we are to pray that the Lord would send out the harvest workers because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, Lord. I pray, Father, that we would be sent. Father, that we would understand our role in the Great Commission that we would get a fresh revelation of this vision for our life, that we are to go. God, I pray that it would not be about our will being done. Father, but yours. Create such a hunger in our hearts, Lord. And Jesus, Father, for everyone in the room that already knows your vision for their life, I pray that there would be a fresh revelation of it, that you would renew it right now, that there would be a refreshing, Father, that there would be a new conviction, a new burden. God, that it wouldn't be something that has been shelved, but they would take it back off of the shelf and there would be a hunger. And Father, that they would be gripped by the restraint of your vision for their life and that they would commit themselves to seeing the mission of that vision fulfilled, Lord, from this point on, God. Let it be done, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. I pray that our church would be a place where we take the Great Commission so seriously. That it would not be an afterthought, it would not be a, yeah, I know that. But that it would be something that we would walk out. Amen. I love you. We will see you next week.